We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. The Chicago Bulls select Kobe White. Levine with the runway! Welcome to the Cash Considerations Podcast, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm here with Jason Pat, as always. The Bulls only have one preseason game left this Thursday. They're taking on the Hawks. That will be their last preseason outing. They're 1-3 right now. Uh, we could talk a little bit about how the, how the preseason has affected our view of the team, but the fact of the matter is the regular season's right around the corner. A week from uh, Wednesday on October 23rd, the Bulls will have their first game on the road against the Charlotte Hornets. I'm looking at the early season schedule right now. First game, Bulls at Charlotte. Second game, two nights later, Bulls at Memphis. The night after that, Bulls in Toronto to face the Raptors. Two days after that, Bulls on the road against the Knicks. Two days after that, Bulls on the road to face Cleveland. Then they have two days off before hosting the Detroit Pistons on Friday, November 1st. Two days later, Indiana Pacers at Indiana. Those are the first seven games. So, Jason, my question is, after watching the Bulls in the preseason, what do you think their record through the first seven games of this season will be? I'm going. It should be something like four and three or five and two. I mean, the Hornets are going to be absolutely terrible. The Cavs, maybe even worse. Grizzlies also bad. John Morant's fun. Jaron Jackson Jr. is fun, but uh, I mean, I guess road two couple road games is tough. But like, I mean, those are two games you theoretically sh- like. If the Bulls are going to be a playoff team, you got to win both those games. Uh, again, yeah, a lot of these games are on the road, but I mean, still, like these are bad teams you're facing. And if you're going, especially with the way the schedule does toughen up, like at the end of the year you got to win four or five of these games, and I think they can do it because they have looked pretty good uh, in these preseason games. Uh, like you said you mentioned they're only one and three, but like in terms of like when the starters have actually played and like played together, they looked really good. Uh, this last game, I know the Raptors didn't play anybody. I think they rested like their top seven guys, but the Bulls completely took care of them. Zach Levine was incredible again with his shooting. He's been on fire all preseason. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr. finally made his his debut. He did. Uh, we'll talk about him a bit more. He, it was a little rough for him, but still, just overall, like, the starters when they played the Pelicans game, I know they lost. The starters dominated the Pelicans, and they played most of their starters. And a lot of people think the Pelicans are going to be a pretty good team, possible playoff team in, in the much tougher West. So, 
Uh, the way the Bulls starters have played together, and assuming Ta- Tomas Sadoransky will be the starter, starter point guard, they look pretty good, and I think that they should be able to get off to a pretty hot start. Yeah, I think so. I'm looking at this early season schedule and thinking the same thing. Four and three would be the minimum acceptable record given these first seven games. Uh, I think they can go five and two, and I think I misspoke. I said the Raptors game, uh, which is the third game of the season, was on the road. That's actually a home. home. That will be the Bulls' home opener on Saturday, October 26th. That's going to be a tight game on a back-to-back coming from Memphis after opening the season on the road with two games. So yeah, I'm going to say five and two, Jason. Believe it or not, I think they should beat Charlotte on the road. They should beat Memphis on the road. I think they probably lose to Toronto on a back-to-back. I think that they beat the Knicks on the road. I think they beat the Cavs on the road, certainly. And then I think they split against Detroit and Indiana. So give me five and two for the first seven games. I don't know if that is going to signify what's to come this season. Uh, Certainly when the Bulls go on their West Coast road trip, the schedule is going to get a lot harder. Uh, Those losses can stack up pretty quickly. But I'm feeling pretty good about the Bulls, despite a 1-3 record in the preseason. Uh, And despite the fact that, you know, there's still some pretty big question marks out there, like the play of Wendell Carter, a few other things you mentioned earlier. Still feeling good coming into this season. It's, uh, It's fun to go into a year with a different mindset. Yeah, and if they do go like what if they're like five and two, then next game after that, home game against the Lakers uh, on NBA TV. Get ready, get hyped for that one. Or a nice early season showdown. That'd be a lot of fun. Uh, Wait, let's yeah, call I mean, it. Yeah, let's call it a must win before yeah, before the it. game before the season even starts. That's <laughs> a must win game eight, <laughs> right there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. But yeah, I mean, it's been fun watching the Bulls this preseason. And I think a lot of the a lot of it. Uh, I think has to do with I, we've talked about Zach. We talked about Zach Levine last pod. I know we were you were you were kind of critical of him, and there, he obviously has his faults and all that. But I really do like how he has played this preseason. We we t- we've talked about all the work that he's put in in the off season, uh, and there's been kind of a lot of stuff going on uh, about Zach Levine. Uh, some quotes he's had about both his offense and his defense. It kind of started uh, with. He did an interview with Joe Cowley, and he was talking about how he's not crazy about how the Bulls want him to be uh, minimizing his mid-range shots and shooting more three-pointers and all that. Let me find this first quote. Um, yeah, he goes, he called the mid-range lost art, which, I mean, sure, that's fair. Like He says, I mean, I grew up being a Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant fan. I know that some of the greatest scores in NBA history were mid-range, mid-post guys. It's sad to see it push to the side. Carmelo Anthony is one of the greatest scorers ever. He's out of the NBA right now because the analytics are on mid-range twos. I think it takes a little away from the. Uh, I think it takes away a little bit of the skillful skillfulness, and it takes away some of the weaponry. But I'll tell you this: there's still guys in the NBA, and I think I'm one of them that can still get it done. And this is kind of like blown up. Uh, Kali was trolling some goofy stuff about analytics and blog boys and all that, but uh, this kind of blew up as well today uh, on Tuesday. Uh, the the jump, Rachel Nichols tweeted out about it, and they had this whole segment about it. Uh, and then Kevin Durant replied to the jumps to uh, Rachel Nichols tweet about it, telling him how he should how he should keep shooting those shots. Um, and that and then he and Matt Moore, who we had on Cash Considerations a few a uh, month or two ago, he 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 got in this whole conversation about mid range twos and all, and then just started this whole blow up about analytics, mid range twos, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I kind of I, I I didn't really chime into really into that conversation. But I tweeted about it. I I feel like it's a whole lot a lot of nothing. I feel I mean Zach Levine is a guy who's he's gonna he can make tough shots. He did a whole interview last uh, year with Darnell Mayberry, the, the Athletic, talking about a shot selection. 
uh, and he under, like he he knows he 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 likes to take tough shots. He can make tough shots, but I think he does realize to a point that like you can't always be doing that. So I don't I don't even know how much he's actually complaining about this kind of stuff because if you look at how he's played this preseason, he's been absolutely ridiculous. He's shooting something like fifty six percent from the field. I think it's like fifty eight percent from threes, like eleven of nineteen. If you look at his shot his shot uh, distribution though. Like 43, 44% of his shots have been three-pointers. He's obviously always aggressive going to the basket. He's taken some mid-range, but not that many. I mean, he's clearly made a concerted effort to optimize his shot selection. And this is something we have talked about because he only took five threes last year. And his three-point rate was down at about 28%. Like I said, it's up at like 44% right now. That's what it was at in Minnesota before he tore his ACL. I mean, if he's taken like 40% of his shots from three, 40% of his shots uh, at the rim... And then, the, whatever, the last 15, 20% he's taking mid-range shots, that's totally fine. And he's going to be getting the free throw line a lot as well. So, like, I feel like, like I said, this kind of turned into this whole whole thing. But I feel like Zach kind of does understand. Like, yeah, mid-range might be a lost art. Guys might be going away from it too much. But I feel like he has he's making a point to shoot more threes. He understands that you shouldn't be taking the ugly, like, early shot clock twos. I haven't really seen much of that this this uh, in the preseason. And... Like it's gonna be there when the defenses get tougher. If you, if they do make the playoffs, like that's those are the kind of shots that he'll have to take when defenses clamp down. But I think overall, like I don't know, I, I really have no problem with Zach saying some of this stuff. I don't know if he's really complaining as much as just kind of pointing out how, how the way the league is going. Yeah, there's a lot there, and the first thing that entered my mind when I saw that you know, the jump had made this a topic that uh, all of basketball Twitter was going to be talking about for the day was that Zach Levine responded to the Joe Cowley article and he said, furthest thing from the truth, this article is a joke. Now, Cowley's article was basically presenting Zach as someone who did not want to be told not to take mid-range shots. Uh, given the way Zach responded to this article, given the way he's played this season, I don't really think that this is an issue. Uh, also, Kali, why are you taking a swipe at our boy Stefano? He's just so insecure, Kali. It's because he's just not very smart about basketball. I remember 10 years, Kali was going in on how he didn't know, understand, or believe that on-base percentage had any value. Now, a decade later, he's put his own modern spin on his idiocy and applied it towards basketballs. So uh, that guy's a total loser, and it sucks that, uh, you know, he put Zach in a position where this is a national talking point now. Anyways, I think that Jim Boylan actually gave the best explanation and best distillation of this when he was asked by a reporter about it at practice today. I'll I'll read off Boylan's quote on, uh, you know long twos or mid-range twos versus threes and shots at the rim. Boylan said, well, we don't want to take contested twos mid-clock. I don't want mid-clock contested twos, okay? I'd like to not take early clock non-rim twos. I'd like not to, okay? If they happen, they happen. Late clock, we have to get the best possible look we can get. That might be a contested two late clock. We might have to do it, but we believe in the math and we coach to the math. We organize our practices to the math. But we understand there's moments when you have to just play. And a free throw line jumper at 14 feet contested is not what we want. That's not really a new thing. 20 years ago when I was in the league, that's not what we wanted. So Boylan basically gave a perfect response to this in my mind. He's saying, yeah, there is a place for the mid-range two, the mid-range jumper in the league. It's just not early in the shot clock and it's not your first option. Now, when the shot clock gets low and, you, you know, 
you need to create something out of nothing. Zach Levine is really good at hitting tough shots. Many of those are long contested twos. He's still going to get the opportunity to do that because we know in a 24-second shot clock, you're going to have a bunch of those possessions throughout the game, particularly late in games, particularly in the playoffs when teams have you scouted and they're prepared for you. And sometimes it just comes down to if a guy can knock down a mid-range jumper. We saw Kawhi Leonard do it all throughout the playoffs. I think Kawhi shot something like 53 or 54% on mid-range or long twos uh, throughout that postseason run, which was way above the league average by like nearly 10 points, I think. It's something that Zach Levine's good at. It's not something he has to strip totally out of his game. And really, I don't even believe that this should be a national talking point uh, because I think Levine gets it. I think that like this is just common sense for anyone who isn't treating themselves like a WWF wrestling heel like Joe Colley is. And it, it's just a, it's a lot of hubbub about nothing. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, and we saw like, and again, I mentioned that KD like chimed in this. KD also great at them. So like, yeah, I mean, it's a, there's a time and a place. Like obviously like in the way the modern NBA is like in Maury ball and all that, like more teams are trying to optimize for threes and layups and free throws, which makes sense. You want to do that. You want to try to create the best shots you can. And so far the Bulls have been doing that by pushing pace, moving the ball around. If you do that correctly, you will get more threes and more shots at the rim. But there are times, like you mentioned, when games slow down, when teams have you scouted, you're going to need those shots. And, I mean, there will be times where, like, teams will give you some of the op- those open shots. I mean, if they're giving you – they're giving Lowry, if they're giving Zach or Otto Porter or something like that an open mid-range jumper, like, I'm totally fine with that. I mean, even a guy like Chris Dunn, if, if he's wide open, he can take it. Obviously, you don't necessarily want that early in the clock, which Boylan mentioned. Like, it's those early – like pull up jumpers with a hand in the face like get get rid of that but there are times when if defenses are playing you to take open mid-range shots you can take those and stuff like that so yeah i totally agree i mean because, again because the way the bulls have been playing like this really is not a problem it's not like zach is going and chucking up all these shots right now he's optimizing his shot selection and it's really looked great and that's one of the reasons why i think a lot of people are excited he's looked really good and 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 it's not even the offense, though, but the defense as well. Like, Zach, historically, obviously, it's been a huge narrative around him that he cannot play defense, that he's a terrible defender. He hears it, obviously, because yesterday, headlines come out. Uh, this was from The Athletic, Darnell Mayberry again. I'm tired of people talking shit about my defense, and that Zach Levine is dedicated and he's working hard to becoming a better two-way player. I don't know if he'll ever actually be a quote-unquote two-way player, but again, we're looking for passable defense we're looking for effort and just like be if he can be an average defender and play offense the way that he has i mean we're looking at an all-star we're looking at one of the better players in the league here's the actual quote i'm just tired of people talking shit about my defense i've always been a good on-ball defender but there's no reason i can be this good offensively and not be that good on the defensive end so i'm taking more pride in it i'm pretty sure it'll, sh- it'll show i'll make sure of that if you, uh, the Raptors game, he actually did make some nice plays, uh, some nice hustle plays. Some of it was gambling, but like I mean, if he's in position to maybe gamble a little bit more, make some make those kind of hustle plays. I mean, that was great, and there were there were several. Not, not, it was not like a one off thing in this Raptors preseason game. I know again the Raptors were playing nobodies. They were playing Chris Boucher, Stacey King called them Bobby Boucher during the game, uh, like Patrick McCaw, OG Ananobi was basically the best player out there for the Raptors. So again. Zach Levine playing defense against those guys is different than Zach Levine playing defense against Kyle Lowry uh, and Marcus Gasol and all and all those guys. But I mean, the effort was there, and he's clearly again he clearly gets it. We've seen him working hard in the offseason. He's t- saying all the right things. So hopefully this will carry over because again, if it does, Zach Levine looks like he could be in store for a really big season. 
Yeah, totally. And when I said those comments about Levine last week, to be clear, what I was saying is that I don't think he could be the best player on a team that's, you know, competing to go to the NBA Finals. I think that it's possible he could be the best player on a team that gets the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference. Now, what type of accomplishment really is that? For the Bulls, it would be major progress to where they've been the last two years. But we know, you know, it's one thing to go from dog shit to decent. But it's another thing to go from decent to elite, and I think that, you know, that's where the middle area really lies. Uh, In terms of Levine, I mean, look at his placement on some of these top 100 lists heading into the season. Rob Mahoney at SI, who I think is a really smart guy, he had him 90 uh, in his list. I think that was a little harsh. The ESPN list had him in the 50s, I believe. So, listen, can Zach Levine be a top 25 player in the NBA? If he can actually do that, the Bulls' fortunes suddenly go up to, I think, probably a middle tier Eastern Conference team. I'm not saying this season. I mean, you know, over the next two years, if Levine can be a top 25 player, maybe we can start talking about, you know, the five seed, the six seed. Again, that would be incredible progress for a team that won only 22 games last year. I still think the next time the Bulls are challenging for the NBA Finals, and Jason, that should ultimately be their goal. They're going to have to acquire a new best player on the team, make Levine a uh, you know, more of a sidekick, have him in your secondary scoring option role, which I think he's best suited for. Now, Jason, there was a tweet that I wanted to bring up uh, from Jerry Reinsdorf, which had me thinking about this. You know the one I'm talking about. It was for the Marlins owner who... Yes. Yeah. Can you... uh, Do you either have this handy or do you want to try to paraphrase it? Uh, Hold on. I think I could pull it up really... Really quick here. Uh, so I know, like, the paraphrase, it was basically about, like, finishing. You want to finish second because it always says you wanting more. Yeah, I got or, it. So this uh, tweet is from Bennett Carroll. That's at the Bennett K on Twitter. He tweeted, advice Jerry Reinsdorf gave former Marlins president David Sampson. Finish in second every single year because your fans will say, wow, we've got a shot. We're in it. But there's always the carrot left. There's always one step left to take. So, like, wanting to finish in second is the most Jerry Reinsdorf shit ever, and I fully believe this quote, even though it's presented as secondhand, because (laughs) it fits in with the entirety of his ownership style for my two favorite sports teams over the last couple decades. So, uh, that's really disappointing, and I wonder, like, the Bulls are getting a lot of positive publicity right now. I did an interview with Dan Bernstein this morning on the score. Dan Bernstein and Connor McKnight. First time I've ever done that show. It was really fun, and I have to say I was struck by how positive and how sort of friendly the conversation was. Like, the, there was nothing in the line of questioning that was attacking the Bulls. Instead, it was, hey, Luke Cornett's pretty good, right? Hey, <laughs> Zach Levine actually looks a lot better, right? Everything was so positive. Well, ultimately, this Bulls rebuild, as currently constructed, still as a pretty solid glass ceiling. The Bulls cannot rest on their laurels just because they made some good moves to get to the middle of the pack in the East. That is great progress, don't get me wrong, uh, and it's significant and they deserve to be applauded for it. But also, they can't pat themselves too much on the back. They can't get lazy because they still need to make smart moves to get this team up towards challenging for the NBA Finals in the Eastern Conference, which isn't that difficult to do, uh, especially when you look at the changing landscape of the conference. Uh, that's where the Bulls' head has to be at. They need to have a championship mindset, not a mindset where we're happy to be here. You need the big big market mindset, not the small market mindset. I know Matt, blog, Bulls blogger, is always talking about that. In fact, a lot of people talking about how the Bulls operate sometimes with that small market team mindset. Don't, don't think small, think big. 
Before we go talk about some leftover thoughts about the, uh, the preseason, how the Bulls have looked, let's uh, take a quick word from our sponsors. When you're selling online, getting your orders out can be a real pain. Time-consuming, expensive, so many carriers to choose from. How do you know you're making the best choice? That's why you need ShipStation.com. ShipStation is the fastest, easiest, and most affordable way to manage and ship your orders. ShipStation helps get orders out quickly, it saves money on shipping costs, and it keeps your customers happy. No matter where you're selling, be it Amazon, be it Epsi, be it your own website, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface, making them really easy to manage from any device, even your cell phone. ShipStation works with all major carriers including USPS, FedEx, UPS, even Amazon Fulfillment, so you can compare and choose the best shipping solution for you and your customer. Jason, it's no wonder ShipStation is the number one choice of online sellers. You'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. And right now, Cash Considerations listeners can try ShipStation free for 60 days when you use the offer code BLUE. There's absolutely no risk. You can start your free trial even without entering your credit card info. Just go to ship station.com click on the microphone at the top of the homepage type in blue that shipstation.com enter the offer code blue shipstation.com make ship happen talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy usually guys just brush it off or blame ourselves saying something like i lost my mojo or avoid it altogether with excuses like had a long day at work or sorry honey just not feeling it with Roman, it's really easy to talk about it. With a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is very straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. So complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. So just go to GetRoman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. All right, we're back. Cash Consideration, Chicago Bulls podcast. Uh, first half of the show, we talked a lot about Zach Levine and all that stuff. Let's talk a bit about Wendell Carter Jr. He missed most of the pre- he missed the first three games of preseason. Uh, he had the bruised tailbone. He, he first sprained an ankle, then he was fine. Then apparently he bruised his his ass. Basically, uh, missed a couple games. He returned for the Raptors game on Sunday, and I feel like naturally it was not pretty. Uh, he looked kind of slow, did not look very explosive. He uh, got stuffed at the rim. You can argue whether he was fouled, but had a shot to go up for a dunk at the rim and just got stuffed, did not get very high. kind of looked like me jumping out there. Uh, so, yeah, he was definitely – I feel like he's definitely a guy. He's going to have to find his legs because I believe he also put on something like 15-ish pounds, 10 to 15 pounds. I think he's playing up at like 270, 275 now. So he's going to be playing with that added weight. He hasn't played since, what, I think January because he had the wrist surgery to end last season. Um, 
yeah, like I said, he had he had a few nice plays. He did have one nice block where he, he showed off his timing was really nice, and that's one of the one of the positives with him is just his basketball IQ and his timing is really good. But in terms of like his offense and the and and the athleticism, explosiveness, I know he's not the most athletic guy in general, but it looked especially slow and and bad. So I th- I'm thinking it might take a little while for Wendell Carter Jr. to get get rolling. Like I said, I'm not really that worried about it. I mean, he's again, he's a guy who's smart, he's skilled, he can use that kind of stuff to help make up for any uh, deficiencies, but it will be interesting to see just how much he's going to play to start the season. Like I said, I'm assuming he will be the starter to start the season. I mean, they need to get as much time with him and Lowry uh, as possible. Uh, what are your thoughts about how Wendell played, or are you worried about Wendell at all? Or how, like, What kind of minutes do you think he'll get to start the season? Yeah, let's do it this way. What's your Wendell panic meter at right now on a scale of 1 to 10? Because mine's either a 1 or a 2. Yeah, I mean, it's, like, yeah, it's low. I think that uh, it might take some time. He's still only going to be 20 years old the entire season. He's a little bit undersized for a center, and you can't really use him the way that you would use traditional centers. That's because he's so much more skilled than a traditional center. He can really pass the ball, including on the move. I think he's going to be able to shoot, especially off catch-and-shoot situations. He even uh, you know, has a little bit of creativity in his game when he puts the ball on the floor, too. So I really like Carter. I don't think he's someone who you can continually post up and expect success from. And you know what? That's a good thing because those are low-efficiency shots in the first place. And I'm actually sure that Jim Boylan knows this now, given his quote today. So I'm still feeling good about Wendell. Uh, The Bulls also have a lot of depth in the front court with Luke Cornett, another 7-footer. With Thad Young, they're going to have a bunch of different looks they can go with. A lot of the talk this week has been about you know, the quote Zach Avon's defense. Well, the reason I think he can succeed more than anything else in the defensive end is because he actually has the infrastructure around him defensively to support him. You can go with a lineup of Wendell Carter, Thad Young, Otto Porter in the front court around Zach, put Thomas Sadaransky in there too, and suddenly that's a pretty good defensive team uh, around Levine. So I still have high hopes for Carter's defense. I thought the instincts he showed last year are certainly going to translate and only improve during his sophomore year. Offensively, uh, he's a bit of an oddball in terms of his skill set for a center, but it's a really modern skill set, and I think that if you use him the right way, he could be an awesome offensive player in addition to a really good defensive player. I'm not worried about Wendell. Jason, I want to change the subject a little bit to Boylan because we've been talking about Boylan quite a bit. Where is your confidence in Jim Boylan right now? Are you buying what Jim Boylan is selling? Are you into Jim Boylan, Chicago Bulls head coach? Do you trust him? Uh, give me your Boylan thoughts. I don't know. When I read the quote about the mid-range shots today, I was just like, man, this is this is great. Uh, I mean, definitely from what he's been saying, all the right things uh, this offseason and the quote he had today. Like, I mean, just again, yeah, I feel like I can't remember who said this. Uh, I saw it on Twitter. It was basically like, when Jim Boylan's not doing the meatball, goofy high school coach routine, like he says a lot of smart stuff about basketball. We saw it last year as well. Again, sh- shout out to again to Darnell maybe at, at the Athletic. He did like this whole this big like interview series with Boylan where he talked about his philosophies and all that. And I mentioned the Zach Levine article from last year on the Athletic. Boylan in in their head quotes about how very similar to the ones that he had today about the kind of shots that they want to take and all that kind of stuff. So right now, right now, I mean. He definitely is, again, he's saying all the right things. I feel definitely a bit better about him. He still does say a lot of the goofy stuff, a lot of the spirit, boilinisms. We'll see how he does as an in-game coach, because you can say all the right things about your philosophies when you're just talking to the media. How do those translate into into the games while games are going on? How do you adapt? How do you run your rotations? 
How do you, if, some, if something's going wrong, how do you fix it? We're still, we have to see that happen. We have to see him deal with adversity. But right now, the way the Bulls have been playing with the more modern offense, the way he's been talking, definitely at least feel a, li- a little better than, than before. Yeah, I agree. I'm definitely feeling a lot better about Boylan. I think, you know, you got to credit the front office for actually getting him some real assistance this year yeah. with Chris Fleming. I think you can already see his influence on the Bulls' shot profile in the preseason, typically preseason shot profile tends to extend to the regular season so I think that's definitely a good sign for the year uh Roy Rogers being the other assistant he's more of a guy who's going to help the big men and help on the defensive end uh I I don't think we've really seen his impact quite yet but you know I'm excited for him to work with Luke Cornett this year I'm excited to see uh, a guy like Thad Young and Wendell Carter sharing the floor together to perhaps give the Bulls their best defensive front so Uh, I'm feeling better about Boylan, no doubt, but we have to remember that Boylan made a lot of really inexcusable errors last year in terms of timeout management, in terms of, you know, just overcoaching the hell out of a team instead of just letting them play. He consistently failed to let them run, which is what their personnel is really suited to do, and when they're at their best is when the Bulls push the tempo, get in the open floor, and kind of get the game on their own terms. I want to see what happens for the rest of the year, but I would describe myself as having cautious optimism about Jim Boylan so far. And longtime listeners to this podcast will remember when I challenged Jim Boylan to a push-up contest for his job. Uh, uh, you know, at this point, I'm not going to do that this year. That was a last year thing, not a this year thing. Turning new year, over new, new leaf. Yeah. yeah, new year, new me. Yeah, totally there with you. Uh, yeah, it will be interesting to see how things play out. Uh, let's wrap up here. Let's talk a quick bit about the point guard situation. Um, if we looked, going back to the Pacers game, we really haven't talked about that preseason game. The Bulls basically rested everybody, uh, all the starters, which basically I think he, he rested Sadoransky along with the rest of the normal starters, which I think he's basically, Boylan has basically telegraphed that Sadoransky will be the starter at point guard. So that game gave us a chance to see a lot more Kobe White and a lot more Chris Dunn. Uh, and Kobe White had impressed a bit in that game. I, I like Kobe White's been a really interesting player in this preseason because he's put up some pretty good scoring numbers. I think it's something like 16 points a game. The efficiency hasn't let me let me totally pull it up. But the efficiency hasn't been quite there, which I think is I feel like what I've seen is he's I think he's done a little more than I expected in terms of being a scorer. The efficiency has been not really again not quite there. I think he's something around like 40 percent overall like low 30s from threes because he's getting up his shots in that game in that Pacers game which the Bulls got blown up the Pacers were playing their normal players the Bulls were starting basically their their B or C squad Kobe had I think he had 24 points on 10 of 22 shooting uh with zero assists uh and like eight rebounds so like the fact that he got up all those shots and had zero assists like I was making jokes like oh like Kobe White Kobe Bryant making Kobe jokes like that uh, and then again, the game against the Raptors, he got up a ton of shots as well. I mean, so he's been getting shots up, and we really haven't. I feel like at this point, Kobe is probably basically like a two guard. I, I don't really know how much like, like if Dunn's still going to be there. Who has done is was awful against the Pacers. He had like eight points, seven turnovers, and he had some really ugly misses against the Raptors. Chris Dunn just I feel like his confidence might be shot with Kobe White playing aggressive and confident. Chris Dunn, I feel like, is almost falling even behind him on the depth chart because Kobe was first off the bench. So I'll be really interested to see how that plays out. But I guess what 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 do you make of what, what Kobe has done so far and just kind of 
the chucking ways that he's had and like the lack of playmaking. I, I feel like he's good. I, I think I saw someone say that he's giving off maybe some real Ben Gordon vibes. Gordon was obviously awesome as a rookie. I don't know if Kobe's going to be quite that good where he's going to be like Mr. Fourth Quarter scoring and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, he's, he's kind of giving up those vibes. Right? He's going to get up those three point shots. He's going to be really aggressive and pushing the ball. Yeah, I'm still a little skeptical for a few different reasons that Kobe's actually going to be able to meaningfully contribute to winning basketball as a rookie. I like him as a long-term prospect. I think he's going to be a good pick down the road. And I think, if nothing else, he's going to have high trade value, just being a young guard with positional size who can shoot. But... A few things working against him, I think, you know, early in his rookie year. First of all, like, he's just not getting 20 shots up in a regular season game. Like, there's no way that's happening. And if that doesn't happen, how else can he have an impact on the game in terms of, like, fleshing out his role player skill set. Now, his defensive fight has looked pretty good, and I like him as a spot-up shooter. He was excellent as a spot-up yeah, shooter good. at North Carolina. Uh, that's what I want to see more out of him, but, like, you know, these games, he's taking 22 shots <laughs> and getting 22, getting 24 points. He's taking 16 shots and getting 18 points. Like, that's just not going to happen in the regular season. So I like the idea of him being instant offense. I like the idea of him uh, playing a little two-guard this year. Uh, in different lineups, playing next to Sadoransky, playing next to a few different guys to try to put him in the best position to make an impact towards team success. But, uh, you know, he's still so physically weak. Like, I don't really see him being able to absorb contact. I don't really see him being able to get to the foul line. He just makes the game hard on himself, and that's because his value is ultimately going to be tied to off-the-dribble jumpers. And, uh, you know, the more catch-and-shoot situations the Bulls can get him in, the more situations where they can just get him on the move using his speed to get out in transition and push the pace and do that, that's where he can make an immediate impact. But uh, I'm still a little skeptical that he should be ahead of Chris Dunn. And that he, I mean, Dunn's looked horrible. Don't get me yeah. wrong. I think Dunn <laughs> should be traded. But even Archie Diacono had a pretty solid impact on team success last year. Uh, you know, he's a 40% three-point shooter as well. I, he's not a great defender either, but he's at least like you know a little more experienced than Kobe is. He, tr- he tries little, really hard. <laughs> he's probably a little physically stronger than Kobe, so it's a good problem for the Bulls to have. They also have Shaq Harrison, who uh, can probably defend a one through three at this point. They got a lot of different options in the backcourt. I think that Kobe's definitely going to get his chance eventually. I would just tell fans to be a little bit patient. Uh, with him as a rookie, but you know, I'm sure he'll have some games where he comes off the bench, scores 14 points, hits a few jump shots. It'll be really fun to watch. And Kobe has a great style, plays with a great flair, flair yeah. for the game. Seems like he's having a lot of fun out there. Uh, love the big hair blowing in the wind as he's running up and down the court. So I think Kobe's going to be a lot of fun. I just don't know if he's really going to make a meaningful impact towards the Bulls' push to make the playoffs, but. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah, looking at here's his numbers right now. He's 39.7% field goals, 34.5% from three. Uh, I believe, like, in college, he was kind of, like, I think he was, in, like, 42 43% overall, and, again, like, 35-ish percent from three. I feel like that's probably what he's going to be around, like, during the season. Uh, I just He's probably just not going to be that efficient. He, his jumper is a bit streaky. Like you mentioned, he has looked much better when he's able to just square his feet, shoot, catch-and-shoot shots, like, when he's been dribbling off the dribble, it's been kind of ugly. Uh, our guy Will Gottlieb, Bleacher Report, uh, he did a really nice Kobe White thread on Twitter. Please go check that out. Just I think it was from the Pacers game, just the, about the shot selection. He has had some trouble uh, finishing around the basket. Again, it's not a surprise. He's not that explosive. He's not very strong. That is going to be a work in progress. But yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that. Like he's he's going to have those moments where he looks really fun, and just in general, he seems like a really easy guy to root for. So he should ho- hopefully he can at least make 
maybe a little impact, and then maybe as the season goes on, uh, he just get, he hopefully he he just gets better. I do think he'll probably play a decent amount. Again, he's played a lot in preseason. He was the first guard off the bench against the Raptors, and the Bulls were kind of running more like a more of a regular season rotation. Whether how him and Chris Dunn get those minutes split, or how Archie Diakono. An interesting point about Archie Diakono is he, they were running lineups in that Raptors game where it was Arch Dunn and. Uh, Kobe White together, and Denzel Valentine was not in the rotation. I am curious. Valentine was all, was also bit really bad in that Pacers game, and I feel like in, overall he's looked kind of bad. This might be a situation where I think Boylan might have realized that he's going to need some time as well to get those legs back under him because he's we, he's had some really ugly misses. I think overall his shooting percentage has been bad. We know he's not he wasn't athletic to begin with, and we've seen those that again, especially after get, basically getting a new ankle, he's had. The issues driving into the lane, getting into the paint, just really has no plan from there. He's basically just right now a shooter and a a, a pretty good playmaker. It will be interesting to, so we'll be interesting to see how Boylan runs that uh, that guard rotation off the bench when you have Kobe, Dunn, Arch, Denzel Valentine. We'll see what happens when Hutch gets back as a guy in the wing. As you mentioned, they do have a lot of, of options. We'll see how good they actually are when games actually matter. But right now it does seem like they have some pretty pretty decent depth there. I agree, and I think that that pretty much wraps up this episode. Yeah, I totally agree. You know their thoughts there, because I basically got, I don't think really have anything else either. We got, like you mentioned at the start, we got one preseason game left Thursday against the Hawks. The Hawks are another team that's going to hopefully, uh, at least for their sake, they'll be on the rise. I think the Bulls and Hawks might be a couple teams if things go well. They'll be fighting for one of those final playoff spots in the East, so that could be a fun matchup. Dep- again, depending on who plays a lot of these preseason games. I think really Bulls Pelicans is really the only one where like both teams actually played their guys, so we got to see a good look, and we saw the Bulls do really well in that game, so that's why it was a lot of fun. So one more preseason game, and then the Bulls start the season next week. Can't wait! Really excited. It's really fun to finally have Bulls meaningful Bulls basketball back. Uh, a little preview: we will be doing a Bulls season preview pod with our guy Mark Karantzoulis of Bulls HQ, the other, our other Bulls pod for Blue Wire. So that'll be a lot of fun. Look for that uh, probably coming, uh, I believe, next Monday, maybe even before that. We'll be recording that this weekend, have a lot of fun with Mark talking Bulls after the preseason's over to get ready for the season. Uh, again, as always, since shout-out to Bulls HQ, the other Blue Wire pod. Shout-out to Blue Wire in general. Please go follow us on Twitter at Blue Wire Pods. Go check out all the other great, not only NBA pods, we have a ton, ton of other sports ton of other good pods out there for blue wire so please go check all that out and that has been it this week so we're almost there we're almost there ricky bulls are almost officially back so for this week uh for cash considerations a chicago bulls pod this has been jason ricky take it easy guys we'll talk to you uh, for our season preview pod coming up next week